we are the heart of the the Michigan glove, you know. It's the way Detroiters move very fearlessly in the world. And so when I traveled away to Brooklyn and lived in Atlanta, and then even when I traveled throughout the world and other spaces, being from Detroit really had deep meaning. And I, I didn't know quite how important it was being from this place until I left it. You take it for granted, you know, the, you know, we're the heart of what freedom meant for African-American people in this country. Yes, it was the South, right? The civil rights movement in the South. But Detroiters are all up South people. So we all people from Alabama and, and Georgia and Mississippi. I always say like West Side, Alabama, East Side, Mississippi. That's who we are. We, we love very hard because we've had to fight. <laughs> we've had to fight for this love, you know. Uh, and everyone don't love us because they don't know us. And it's not, you know, this mushy kind of love. Like, it's not a romantic love. It's a gritty love. I, I got your back, you know, kind of love for life. Yeah, it's a, I got your back love. This is Intersections Detroit. Resilience and hustle from the heart of the D. Chapter two, heart. Our strength is stronger when we work together. I'm not a historian just for history's sake. I'm a historian because I want to use history to answer and solve problems. My name is Jamon Jordan. My specialty is the rich African-American history in the city of Detroit. All the way from the beginning of African-Americans living in the city of Detroit during the period of slavery to present day. So my father's family is gonna be forced out of Black Bottom into Highland Park. You got my mother's family living very close to Highland Park because of 67, and then you have my father's family living in Highland Park because of the destruction of Black Bottom. And that's how my mother and father are going to meet because of two very uh, pivotal events in Detroit's history that upset the black community. One, the destruction of Black Bottom. The other, the 67 Rebellion. I didn't know that I was looking for answers, but I was. I, I needed to know why uh, my grandmother did day work, which was cleaning the homes of wealthy people in Bloomfield Hills and in Birmingham and Gross Point. And when we would visit her or pick her up from work, we see these big old homes and we think about the house we live in. I guess as a child I needed an explanation. Why do they have those big houses? Why are those people really rich? And this community seems to be just about all white. And then where I live is just about all black and nobody has houses like that. The whole community doesn't look like that. I didn't know that I was looking for answers, but I was. My mom, she was a book person. I grew up reading everything that my mother had in her collection. But by the time I get to high school, you had choices at Highland Park High School. You could go to lunch or you could go to the library. So when I didn't have a lunch, <laughs> I went to the library. So I'm reading the books that the library had. A lot of it was black history. And they were beginning to make things understandable. So by the time I go to college, um, studying African-American studies, I'm clear on African-American history. I was able to see 
uh, my place in the world and how things got to be the way they were. Even my grandmother's stories and my grandfather's stories, even though they told me what life was like down south and how things were even when they came to the city of Detroit, I needed that paired with this study of these different scholars and writers and historians who had covered it on a wide scale. So pairing their personal stories with these wide-scale stories of African-Americans made it real to me. I was able to understand uh, my place in the world. There's a period in time when um, hip-hop, which was the music I grew up with, goes through that same phase of introducing black consciousness, African-centered ideas, and black nationalism even, and black power in music. They brought some of the stuff I've been reading for years. I'm wanting to not just study this stuff, I'm wanting to apply it. So now I'm not a historian just for history's sake. I'm a historian because I want to use history to answer and solve problems, the problem of white supremacy. I am a part of the black conscious community. I'm a part of the community that um, deals with, addresses two things. On one end, is we're dealing with an, an outside force, which is racism. That's an outside problem. But then there's an inner issue that we also need to deal with, and that's being able to be comfortable in our own culture, where we're not having to severely compromise our own value, our own culture, to be somebody else or to be like other people, particularly people of other cultures. In the black conscious community, we believe that you can't be successful by yourself. You can only be successful as part of your community. So if you're doing really well, but you got people in your community that are starving, hooked on drugs, don't know what's gonna to happen to them, don't have food, then you're not successful. You can only be successful to the level that you're doing something to help those problems subside. And so that's how I see myself, a part of that. Detroit is filled with people with empathy and love and passion for justice, supporting one another. 
this entire idea completely contradicts what's on the media, but that's the reason why I love it, is that it's so unique to me. Uh, it doesn't need to please others, you know? And the, the value that we share most is, is understanding the humanity in one another and the stories that we bring to the table. The community I am a part of is the Detroit community. There are numerous backgrounds and cultures included within this beautiful, abandoned city of ours. The pieces of my Yemeni culture and identity that I bring to my home in Detroit is a sense of family, values of family and hard work. I'm very interested in combining my social work with my passion for entrepreneurship and trying to bring that into spaces within Detroit and back home in Yemen. It was just this combination of my my patriotism to, you know, a country that I call home, that I, where I was born, and my eagerness to go back and to do something, to develop the small rural communities, but also here, where I'm practicing this to this day. I wanted to make a difference, even at a young age, I knew that. I'm Hanan Yahya. I'm a Yemeni-American immigrant a proud Detroiter and a social entrepreneur. For me, my goal is how many other people can I empower? Because that's the only real way you're going to create the scale necessary to change some of the things that are happening here. My name is James Feegan. I'm a Detroiter, father, husband, entrepreneur, and platform builder. I always had a big heart. I remember when I drive around my mom at a young age and I'd see homeless people and I would say, like, why, are, why is no one helping them? So I became a child of reason. How do you connect people who provide these resources with the people who need them? And that was just a natural passion I had. My first job was teaching in a juvenile detention facility. I had a real passion for what you can now call socioeconomic mobility. That's the fancy term for it, but it was really like 
if kids are in poverty and kids are facing challenges, how do we break that cycle? And then at some point I had the opportunity to do it professionally. But it's been really cool just to spend years now at the table with foundations, with government, with folks who build these solutions who are investing at a very high level. I can't create every job. I don't even have all of the ideas and gifts necessary to do everything that needs to get done. But it's like, how many people can I touch? How many people can I help? So getting on the ground, building the network, creating the connections, and then designing the programs so that people can take advantage of them and connect to them. always wanted to live in Detroit, had an affinity for the city, had grown up spending a lot of summers here in the city. I am the oldest of three children, and so I was very responsible, very quiet, shy, was bullied much of my elementary, middle, and high school years, so uh, very much have matured in my older years to be an advocate for what I consider the underdog or the person that's mistreated. So I have seen myself evolve from being what I would consider a victim to very much an advocate and an activist. Coming into Detroit in 2008 and recognizing that as I began to register my children for school, they wanted to give the mayor total say-so over governance of the school. And that to me just seemed to sort of fly in the face of democracy. I was in the middle of uh, organizing parents and mothers and grandparents to show up to city council meetings. And so out of us sort of staying together, we continued to realize that there were many austerity issues that were playing out in the city. There was a global struggle for water. Detroit was in the crosshairs of that struggle. So we began to organize and began to say that we weren't gonna wait on anyone to save us that we were gonna do everything in our power through self-determination and cooperative work 
to create systems that would ensure that people had some kind of water relief in this city. And that has been our mission and everything that we've done since then has been focused around the human right to water for all people. I am Detroit's water warrior, Monica Lewis Patrick. My name is John Joseph George. I'm the executive director and co-founder of the world-famous Detroit Lightbusters. Well, 35 years ago, uh, we purchased a home five blocks north of here, actually a two-family flat. When my son was two, there was an abandoned house that uh, turned into a crack house, and we had called the police and the city and the mayor, and uh, I didn't want to move, but at the same time, I didn't want my kids growing up in and around that nonsense. I personally believe allowing children to grow up in and around that negative energy is child abuse. One Friday night I got out of hand. I got together with Albert Mack and Felix Wright. They were a couple young fathers that lived in the community. We all had the same problem. Uh, we worked a total of eight hours that Saturday. We boarded up the house, we cut the grass, we trimmed the bushes, we put the debris to the curb. And when the drug dealers came back, they couldn't get in. They got in their Jeep and they left. And I looked at the guys, I said, well, that was simple enough. I said, what are you doing next Saturday? That's how the Blightbusters started. And we've been at it ever since. I think what I like doing more than anything is turning my neighbors into homeowners, into stakeholders. In the last 30 years, we've helped over 400 families become homeowners. Those are properties that we've renovated and sold, properties that we've built with Habitat for Humanity and Detroit Neighborhood Development and others. We've helped house a couple thousand folks in our community. It's a feeling of um, relief when you can take a, a liability and create a community asset, be it a community center, a coffee shop, an art gallery, a jazz club, when you do that, you create opportunity and hope. America is great uh, when we support each other and when we work together. We need to uh, focus our energies and effort on what can be, not what was, but what can we do together. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, rich or poor, gay or straight, city, suburban. We have to learn to put our differences aside and focus in on the things that benefit the whole community. That's the message that we have been founding on for many years and we're gonna continue. If you go around the city and you talk to people, you'll feel that Detroit love. It's a genuine love of brothers and sisters. value that we share most is understanding the humanity in one another and the stories that we bring to the table. Intersections Detroit is produced by LaToya Cross and The D for the Human Atlas and Rethink Audio. The executive producer and sound designer is Sarah Miles. 
Original music by Brian Eno, Ife Bess, and Marcus Elliott. Concept and interviews conducted by Marcus Lyon and his Human Atlas team. That's Camilla Pastorelli and Joe Briggs Price. Support for Intersections and the Human Atlas comes from the Kresge Foundation, working to expand opportunities in America's cities through grant-making and social investing. For more information, go to kresge.org. Special thanks to all iDetroiters, the people of our city. Your resilience, fire, and voice is what makes this work possible. My name is Jessica Caremore. See you back here next week when you follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find great stories. Peace.